Good evening and welcome to the Online Warriors podcast. We're back again here in this second week of August. And uh, first of all, we wish you all uh, a good evening and uh, hope you're all doing well. And uh, as usual, uh, I am Illegal86 and I have one of I am one of your three hosts. Uh, I am joined by the lovely Nerd Bomber. Hello, everybody. And Mr. Tectic One. Hello, and I have to say, you sound fantastic today. Well, I'll tell you why that is, Tectic. Uh, I got myself a new microphone, courtesy of the two of you. Uh, it's I so uh, for those that are interested in getting into the nuts and bolts of how we produce this podcast. Uh, before now, I was using a Snowball, which Snowball is a very popular like entry level mic, and uh, I've now graduated to. Well, let me check the brand on this. It's a Behringer something. I think it's like an XM eighteen hundred. If I'm you heard remembering it here first. Correct. It is a Behringer something. Yeah, I see the Behringer part. I don't see the rest of it. Um, I mean, I got a pop filter. I got a stand. I got the whole deal. Uh, so now I'm going to hopefully sound as good as you two sound, and, and hopefully uh, it will improve your listening experience. For your so, listening pleasure. Yeah, wow. it's going to be some real ear candy today. Uh, and speaking of ear candy, we got uh, a lot of great things to talk about today. Uh, we're going to talk about... Um, the stand of of the gaming community on uh on loot boxes so nintendo and and sony and microsoft just kind of made a strong statement about that uh we're going to talk about disney um which is not saying much because disney's involved in everything but we're specifically going to be talking about um the rumored aladdin sequel that's being considered and uh we're also going to talk about one of the great mysteries of our time and uh, a new potential discovery that could unlock the secret to the final resting place of Amelia Earhart. So, uh, pretty exciting episode today, and and we can kind of just dive right in, and uh, we can start by talking about loot boxes. So, um, for our, those of our listeners that are gamers, um, they're probably already aware of this, but um, essentially, Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo have joined forces, yeah, essentially, and... Um, they have agreed to implement new policies, um, essentially disclosing loot box odds. So um, it's especially relevant to to gamers and to us. I mean, we talked about loot boxes just last week. We talked about um, we talked about Rocket League. Mm-hmm. So um, this is essentially huge news. Um, they're targeting 2020 for implementation of of some policies again that will essentially um, require developers to disclose information about the odds on the loot boxes so basically turn it from gambling well i guess it's still gambling but um there's a lot more information on the table I it's guess. now the equivalent of lottery tickets how's that um yeah i mean yeah i mean that, that uh, yeah it still sounds a lot like gambling but um yeah essentially um probability disclosures will make it feel i guess a little bit less random even though it still is essentially random what i'm curious about is what the odds are because you know like i would like to know the odds of some of the games that are out now i mean battlefront 2 is obviously one of the big ones that was talked about a lot um and how it would how long it would take to get darth vader and blah 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 all this stuff and granted a lot of that was progression issues too but you know what odds do the developers think are fair and um not only what do they think is fair but what do they think that we're going to be able to stomach hearing i think that's a really about, good point because i think too if a developer is like super out of whack in comparison with other developers when they're talking about like how the odds of getting a rare item in some kind of like loot crate or something like that, um, then they'll be 
not pressured, but they'll be more apt to fall in line with the rest of the industry, which I guess is a good thing or a bad thing, because I guess if a precedent is set where odds are terrible, then that's not good. But I think there would be enough backlash from the general gaming community to kind of push things in the right direction in terms of fair odds, at least for rare items. It's certainly going to drive um, with regards to these trade people trading stuff and giving other people what they've earned from their loot. It's going to drive a shift in what people are valuing things for sure, because it'll be more black and white on, as to what its value is. Yeah, I think we talked about Rocket League and the economy that has kind of formed around Rocket League and the, the crates last week. And I think, like you said, it'll be a little bit more black and white. It won't just be like someone's assumed valuation on this item. You'll actually know the odds of an item. And one of the other things that I think is really interesting is that um, having the odds disclosed means that game developers won't be able to shift the odds as frequently because they'll have to state the odds up front. And one of the things, and I don't remember what article I was reading this in, but I do remember there was some streamer um, that was collaborating with a game developer to basically stream the opening of crates and his odds were actually higher than the normal person they like skewed his odds so that it would be more exciting for people to watch so that kind of thing now will kind of be stimmied by these new transparency rules that the console developers have really implemented here yeah but a lot of a lot of the people streaming are still going to have you know certain access to things kind of like uh when they get the first opening of some kind of new hardware ahead of it being released. Right, but at least they'll have the same odds when they're opening loot crates as the general public will. I mean, transparency can can only be good. Like, I am really curious to see, like, I'm thinking back to, and granted, I don't know if these were actually considered loot boxes, but, like, I would say my personal, like, my biggest exposure to loot boxes, because I have Battlefront 2, but I didn't really play it that much. My biggest exposure to it is probably... Um, destiny and destiny 2 because i played through both of those games and first of all i will say i love those games uh they're great but um there was an element of randomness that i found frustrating and then what they would do is they would they would host these essentially they would host these events and like on a certain weekend if you logged on i believe your chances of getting certain legendary items and loot boxes would change and and the whole system would essentially change for a temporary amount of time of just to get you know get more people on at a specific time i guess um which i guess was good for the developers for some reason or another but like you said the odds either cannot shift or they have to be shifted much more carefully and, and again it all has to be transparent so that's going to change that whole economy so much and i like i think the aspect of competition like between game developers is going to be the most interesting part to watch just because like you can't come out with a game that there's like one in a thousand odds of winning something when there's a game right next to you that is very similar and the odds are one in a hundred people are going to go and buy that one in a hundred game i so like i tend to disagree with you there i think even with them being transparent i don't think it's going to stop people from quote-unquote gambling that's why the lottery makes so much money because they know that it's one in a billion shot for them to to be the next millionaire but people still avidly play I'm not saying they're going to stop gambling. I'm saying that let's, okay, to, to use the lottery example, let's say that you lived in Florida and you went to play the Florida lottery and the odds of winning, 
a million dollars were one in a hundred thousand. And then Florida Lottery 2 came out. And Florida Lottery 2 had one in 10,000 odds of winning a million dollars. Which one are you going to play? Florida Lottery 1. May I ask why? <laughs> it's the OG Florida Lottery. So you're, you're, you're a lottery loyalist. That's very interesting. Um, well, I, I would one, go with the one with the better odds. That's just yeah, me. I, I would go, I mean, yeah, call me old-fashioned, but I would go with Florida Lottery, too, because my chances of winning a million dollars is higher. I don't know. I, I mean, and granted, obviously, that, that like, example doesn't translate directly into video games. Like, there's a certain extent to which you can't really compare apples to oranges. Like, even Fortnite's competitors are not Fortnite. So, like, if Fortnite, if, if a Fortnite competitor says, we'll lower our odds, it doesn't guarantee that people are going to go away from Fortnite, especially if they've already spent a lot of time and effort you know gathering loot boxes and important stuff in that game they're not going to switch something so easily there is the aspect of loyalty like like you weirdly used with the lottery example but like i don't know i just i guess i'm interested to see what they do because like you said too it might be the kind of thing where yeah they all kind of meet on where the odds are but the odds still might suck and then what do we do (laughs) you know because then they could say the odds suck, but we have you right where we want you. You have to buy these games and play them because we know you want to. I think I in know. general, this is just a really interesting step for the gaming industry, too. Because, I mean, I know we've seen some governments try to take on loot boxes and try to classify what's gambling and what's not. But this is the first time I think we've seen the gaming industry themselves as a whole kind of come together to address the loot box problem. And... I mean, kudos to Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo for kind of enforcing a more fair, basically, place for players to play. And I mean, I know this doesn't necessarily um, influence PC gaming at all, but you'll have to assume that if developers have these odds for the console games, they're not going to stray too far on PC because PC gamers aren't stupid either. Like, they'll, if they're never getting rare items and everyone on consoles are, I mean, we know the gaming community, they'll call them out. So I think just from the perspective of a good step for the gaming industry, I think this is a really good noble cause. And also just the, it's nice to see these basically behemoths of the gaming industry working together for something good. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, the, the gaming community is, I don't see it. The thing is, I don't want to say unforgiving. They seem unforgiving. Like, battlefront 2 again to to kind of go back to that example like when it came out there was like this huge backlash like the most downvoted reddit comment of all time was from one of ea's developers describing how it was going to work like people hated it but they still made so much money because not every gamer is discerning like like yeah the gaming community has been up in arms about loot boxes for a while now but you're always going to have that i hate to say it like 12 year old kid who's a part of this market share who just doesn't care we'll we'll gamble no matter what the odds are we'll you know dump a bunch of microtransactions borrow their parents credit card whatever you want and like yeah kind of kind of uh game the system against everybody else i guess you could say but it is super cool to see the big three taking a stance on this and for once actually listening to the more vocal members of the gaming community because we have seen that you know especially recently i feel like we have seen the gaming the the gaming industry not really listening too much to 
the gamers. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly why that is. I don't know if it's if the gaming industry thinks, uh, whatever, you know, they can say whatever they want. We know they're going to buy our games. Like the Diablo 3 or uh, whichever the next Diablo is where they were touting this big Diablo announcement. They announced a mobile game and like no one wanted that. But but the gaming industry is going to give us that and they seem pretty confident that we're going to be into that. So like, I think right now there's a very weird gray area thing happening where the gaming community is either zero to a hundred. Um, like they, I think maybe the gaming industry is not insulating themselves, but almost like muting a lot of the opinions coming out of the gaming community. Because I mean, most of the people that I've interacted with online in terms of gaming are totally great people, met some really great people through the gaming community, but there's that vocal minority that just harasses game developers, which is never okay. They're always like just crapping on anything that happens anything that a developer does it's just like negative that was even seen there was that welcome to the internet right but i mean it it seems like it's a little bit more extreme and maybe it's just because the gaming community is very involved online but even like the the boycott borderlands 3 trend that was going on on twitter and right that's a whole story that i don't want to get into but a lot of it was based off of misinformation and people didn't have the full story but the vocal minority just kind of hopped on this bandwagon and railed against developers who like when a company does something wrong it's it's good to call them out but at the same time like you have to remember that all of these development teams it's not just one person there's humans behind the game there's like hundreds of people working on the game who have families and lives and right the vocal minority i think has a lot of backlash against the big gaming developers and so i think in turn they've kind of turned off some of what they listen to yeah it's totally a fair point i mean the vocal minority especially as Tectic said, like on the internet, they're all you're going to hear. And there are plenty of people out there who don't have these like vendettas. That's the word I would use. Like so many people now, perhaps even before Battlefront 2, but especially after, have this like crazy vendetta against EA. And like, I personally, like EA has given me some of my favorite games. So like, it's hard for me to you know see battlefront 2 and see some of the the bad decisions that that brand has made and say okay i'm never going to buy anything from you again or okay i'm i'm blackballing you essentially like i'm not one of those people but those people are definitely out there so if you do that you miss out on so many great games that are out there because especially when you get talk about these giant developers like your eas and your ubisofts and all that like okay if there's one bad game or one bad business practice they have a ton of different studios under their main name right exactly and there's so many different amazing games that come out and honestly like it's just i would hate to miss an incredible experience just because one other game from the same publishing house did something that i didn't like I mean, I, I think it's like anything to an extent. Like, like I'm not, I, I want to make it clear that I am not saying that EA is blameless in what they have been, you know, um, taken to task for in the past few years. They certainly are not. But it's also worth acknowledging that there are a lot of moving pieces. Like you said, there are a lot of developers and a lot of sub-developers and, and a lot of, you know, in-house studios that work extremely hard. And yeah like the people at ea are probably more likely to 
want to make a quick buck than those in-house studios are. Um, it's just, it's a very complex uh, equation, I think. It, either way, like this development with the loot boxes to kind of, to kind of head back in that direction, like there's nothing bad about this to me at oh, all. Yeah. Um, my, my final it, question, I guess, for you guys, sorry to cut you off. Um, no, you're fine. So this isn't the first time that we've seen Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo work together. Um, we heard that Microsoft and Sony will be working more on like cloud-based gaming moving forward. So do you think, like, what do you think this bodes for the future of gaming? Like, do you think we'll see a more unified approach? Especially, I think there was a small news segment where Microsoft announced that some of the, the new um, game studios that they've acquired may not be exclusively Xbox producing games. Like, they could have their games launch on PlayStation and other places i was gonna say did we talk about this i feel like we might have talked about this on a recent episode yeah Um, we did talk about the cloud base the actual cover of the podcast included a picture of xbox and playstation so like ultimately do you think this will be like a more unified approach from all three companies as we move into the next generation of consoles which is actually very near like it's super soon it's next year so i I think sorry go ahead i think with regards to technology progressing and wanting to stay current, they need to work together to say, hey, this is our new technology. We're going to share, you know, what's not proprietary so much that would leverage the market for both of them, i.e. the cloud base and things like that. It makes sense, right? If you had, they they both see that the the market is moving to all digital content. And if they work together on it, then they can guarantee that they both have seamless processing and server farms to support it. Whereas both of them having a, I guess you would say a, a half-assed um, capability, which is not bold well for either. So it definitely is advantageous for them to work together with these new emerging technologies. I, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that. Um, you know, Nerd Bomber, if you're asking me, do I, how closely do I see these companies working together in the future? I, I, I'm skeptical. Like, yeah, this is a great thing that we're hearing now. And like the cloud computing thing is great too. We're not going to see these companies shaking hands very often. I don't think there is still so much money in this industry. And I would say like, if that were to happen, if we were to see handshaking going on, it would 100% be Xbox and Sony shaking hands and Nintendo sitting in a corner i I see nintendo as first of all owning a vastly different market share and trying to do something that is like significantly different than the other two so like microsoft and sony working together yeah i could certainly see that i was especially surprised by this announcement because nintendo was involved like i just to me that gap is much harder to bridge um i'd like to see them work together more just because i think that would uh, have a net positive effect on us. But will it on them? I'm not sure. Like, you, Tactic, you make a great argument about, you know, the use of these resources and pulling them together can can only help. But are the execs going to see that? I, I can't really say. Well, both companies, right? They, they both had some kind of cloud-based setup, but both had their weaknesses, right? And the other ones had strength to leverage the opposite one's weakness. And I know my my what I'm saying is just sounding very convoluted, but I feel like everyone's following me. So for, for 
as a case by case basis, right? It's it's not going to be, hey, we have exclusive content that that's specific to this game or, or like a VR setup. They're not going to share that, obviously, but but something where they're both kind of working at it and both having troubles that that makes sense. Well, I see it. It's really probably going to come down to if these I'm going to call them classic gaming brands. Um, are going to try to band together against some of the newcomers in the industry like Google Stadia or Amazon. I can see them having some kind of gaming division. So I, I'm i just wondering how that'll pan out in the future. But I mean, that ultimately, I we'll have to wait and see. That I agree with. I, I think if anything is going to spur these three originals working together, it is going to be companies like Google and Amazon trying to horn in on their business. Um, then you might see some some interbrand loyalty that you did not see before. Um, I don't know how far off that is. I we've talked about Stadia on the podcast before, but I don't know where that where that currently sits. So we'll have to keep checking back. But um, Amazon and Google, as always, are scary, foreboding future demons for the gaming industry to fight and uh in the vein of like big companies like that um we should talk about disney as well and we should talk about aladdin um now i know we talked about lion king on the podcast uh and that again that was fairly recently Mm -hmm. did you guys see aladdin because i did not see aladdin we did see aladdin yeah you did see it okay um and you know we probably talked about that too it would just at this point it would have been at least a few episodes ago, probably over a month ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what you what you thought of it. I mean, for starters, to kind of break into this topic, so it has just come out that um, a follow-up to the live-action Disney movie is being discussed. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it grossed over a billion at the box office, so it's like, you know, it did very well financially for them, so it makes sense that they'd be thinking of a sequel. Now, it received mixed views from critics, mixed reviews from critics, and I myself did not go because I, as I've mentioned, do not typically agree with the whole live action thing that Disney is doing. But for starters, did you guys find Aladdin to be an experience that's worthy of a sequel? So I really liked Aladdin. Um, I thought the actors were all amazing. The singing was amazing. I thought Will Smith was the highlight of the movie. He did a great job as the genie. I wasn't sure if he would be able to replace Robin Williams, but he was a really close second. He did a really good job, kind of made it his own. Overall, I thought that the movie did a really good job of being true to the source material while adding just enough in terms of differences to make it worthwhile to see. So that said... I would be on board with a sequel, but the source material isn't great. And for that reason alone, I don't think I would want to see a sequel because if we go back to the the Aladdin original animated sequels, they were both direct to like VHS movies. I think one was Return of Jafar and I don't remember yeah. what the third one was. I just looked this up because I didn't, I didn't know. First of all, I saw the original Aladdin. I never saw the return of Jafar. It was only an hour and nine minutes. So, like, can't have been that good. I mean, like you said, it clearly a direct-to-video situation. And then you said there was a third one as well? Yeah, I don't... I can't remember what the name of it was. Clearly, it didn't make that big of an impression on me as a kid. But, like, okay, so the sequels were all right, and I obviously watched them as a kid because I liked Aladdin and I liked Disney. So, like, 
as a child, I was on board with literally anything Disney related, but I can't see those either of those movies becoming anything that would look good in live action on a big screen. Like they weren't long enough. The story wasn't really engaging enough. There was a reason it went direct to VHS in the first place. So without... Yeah, Aladdin and the King of Thieves okay. was the third one. That Got a twenty-seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So, like, not, without without good source material, I don't trust. I guess I just don't trust people with these beloved characters. I don't trust them to write a good sequel that isn't just tacky and fan servicey. I don't know. You forgot to you have- mention the best part about the live action Aladdin, and that's that they wrapped it up really, really well. They did. So to to go beyond that, I mean, they they showed the genie had a happy life and and pulled a How I Met Your Mother and pretty much told him the story, told his kids the story. Um, it took a really long time to tell him how he met his mother, but I guess same kind of precedence. And then on the other side, uh, Aladdin himself, right? He was also wrapped up, got got the girl. The only sequel that I can see potentially having value because I mean, like really being something engaging because they were kind of going down this path is a standalone move movie where Jasmine's the star because they were kind of empowering her as a strong independent character who don't need no man. Right. I could see that being something exciting. Um, but any other storyline, I, I feel like Aladdin's done and over with, and I feel like the genie's done and over with. I just like, for me, like what you said, nerd bomber about the source material, like to me that rings true. And you need not look any further in terms of, you know, live action franchises that Disney has run clear into the ground than Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, oh yeah, those movies still make a lot of money, and there wasn't even a, there wasn't even much source material to begin with. The source material was a ride at Disney that they took and made into this. First of all, fantastic movie. The first one was amazing. The second one was pretty good too. The first one was amazing. Still one of my favorite movies. I love Curse of the Black Pearl. So good. But then, you know, as they went on, what have they made now? Six or seven of them. I think so, and yeah. they turn into more of a joke every time and, and they still make them because they make a lot of money, especially internationally. But like, you know, I, I'm not saying that's what they're doing with Aladdin, but what you said about the source material to me, it's like Pirates of the Caribbean ran out of source material probably after the first one and now they're just spinning their wheels like to me i still don't agree with the whole live action remake thing just on principle but if you're going to take one of these live action movies and you're going to remake it i know multiple people who i don't want to say they think the lion king 2 is better than the lion king 1 but like oh yeah well, no, you're one of, the the, you're Lion, one of these people. The you're Lion one of these people King who, one like, was amazing. So, Deception. like, it, Lion King two doesn't necessarily hold a candle to Lion King one, but I would say it is as good as the first movie. Disgrace. Right. So, yeah, my girlfriend sings that song. All I the love time. that song. Uh, but, but like, if if you're gonna do one of these live, if you're gonna do a sequel of one of these live action remakes, I feel like it has to be Lion King two. Like. like there, there I, there's so much more royalty to that movie i've never even heard of return of jafar or whatever it's called but lion king 2 like people talk about that movie that movie you know there are people who think it's on par with the first so like why wouldn't you go in that direction first i mean maybe you know lion king the remake of lion king was probably much more of a and of an endeavor both technically and like in terms of the cast they had to get and everything but like 
I don't know. The, the first remake seemed to do pretty well. I don't, I don't know why they wouldn't do that one first. And like, seems honestly, like a stronger candidate to me. There's even other movies. If you want to like, I think they should just start fresh and do one-offs because there's still movies that are untapped that were animated. Great movies. Like for example, Hercules, I, Hercules, Hercules would be phenomenal in live action. Additionally, yeah. I think Moana would be really great. And I know that's a newer movie, so that won't, draw on the same nostalgia factor but arguably moana has a fantastic soundtrack i think really would give representation to another group of people who don't get a lot of movies and representation outside of the rock yeah i was gonna say you know the rock will star in it for sure well i mean the rock was in moana so that would only make sense but you know what you know what live action remake i want to see and actually let me make sure that this is a disney movie before i before i say it anastasia Uh, no. It's not a Disney movie, but I would be on board. Atlantis? Oh, yeah. I forgot that. Or Treasure Planet. Oh, those are both really good movies. Everyone forgets no. about them. These are... First of all, those are two great suggestions. Uh, second of all... Okay. It looks like... this. It's, confu- it's confusing whether this is a Disney movie or not. I'm almost positive it is. The Brave Little Toaster, guys. Remember the Brave Little Toaster? That is <laughs> not a Disney movie, but it would be an what? incredible live action movie. I, you just, it sounds like you basically suggested they make a live action Veggie Tales for whatever the Brave Little Toaster is. Oh heck yeah! I just want to see a toaster live action, just walking around and doing stuff. He's that's, just that's so brave. That's all I'm asking for. Um, man, I really thought this was Disney. Uh, I guess not. Okay, the animators were a mixture of ex-Disney employees and college graduates from Cal Arts. I'm on the Wikipedia for this movie. Um, or like the Iron Giant who had its 20th anniversary. Now we're just, I know we're going on a tangent about other movies that would be better than an Aladdin sequel. But I mean, give I me mean, an Iron yeah. Giant live action movie and I will be there for it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm trying to think now like... There's got to be other Disney movies that I watched when I was a kid. Like, if you, even if you want to go with the creepy animal route, like you did with Lion King, you guys ever watch Oliver and Company? Oh, that I was just listening to the song. Billy Joel, man. Yeah. There's a Billy Joel on the soundtrack. Oh, my gosh. That was a great movie. Um, I mean, I watched so many of these. These are my bread and butter when I was a kid. If you're going to go the remake route, which, you know, I still don't agree with it, but if you're going to go with the live action remake route, I agree. Don't don't tap into one you already made and look for source material that's not there. Use the source material you have. That yeah, why? Is good. Why should I worry? Why should I care? Is what I'm asking you. Is this? Is that one of the songs? That's Oliver, Oliver and Company. Company. Why yeah. should I worry? They're all so good, Disney. Use what you got. Seriously, I mean, like you're Disney. You have a world of material at your fingertips. Lady and the Tramp, Aristocats. It, Aristocats would be like if you know the creepy trailer for the Cats movie. Did we talk about that on the podcast? Because man, yeah, maybe maybe they don't touch Aristocats. Maybe they, maybe yeah, maybe it might not be. A, well, it would only be a good idea if they like if they did it not the Cats way and like just put people in like costumes or, or, something. or did I the Lion know. King way? Did the, it was all CGI? Yeah, or just made them look real. Don't do a mix because it turns out like incredibly creepy i guess is the takeaway there but yeah i mean there's there's so many live action remakes you could do that wouldn't involve 
making what stuff I, up basically yeah what i think we all agree is a very shaky proposition that is probably based purely on the fact that the first one made a billion dollars and like yeah the first one made a billion dollars but that's because people were going to see how they reinterpreted a story that everyone loves if you came out with return of jafar live action people would be like who the hell cares i have no connection to this i, I don't know I, yeah i mean Again, I have strong feelings on the remake front, no matter which way you slice it, but this seems like an extra wrong move to me. But you know what? I'm sure people will still go see it. Oh, 100%. Um, So on that note, uh, we're going to take a short break here, and we are going to shout out our good friend, Ben, uh, Mr. Ben Checkness. So Ben is our Patreon producer. Uh, he supports us at the night level, which is the highest of our three levels. Um, and in doing so, he is a producer and he gets shout outs on our show. He gets input into our game segments every week. And um, he will pretty soon be um, actually appearing in a guest spot on the show himself. So that could be you guys. If you listen to the show every week and you want to be a part of it in a bigger way than you already are, then um feel free to head over to our Patreon and, and check us out. Uh, so Ben also gets, along with all those benefits, um, he gets access to our secret segments, which come out every month, and our monthly vlog as well. Um, so a lot of extra content if you're in the market for that sort of thing. Um, and it's also worth noting you can support us at the Squire level, which is level two, and that gets you uh, access to both the vlog and the secret segment. Or you could support us at the page level, which is level one, and that gets you secret segment access. So um, we really appreciate you checking us out on Patreon, maybe throwing us some support. Um, you know, we, we, we work very hard uh, doing this and, and um, we appreciate any support we get and uh, we just are happy you're all listening. But uh, if you want to give back, then uh, you'll get shouted out on the podcast for one. You can brag to all your friends who listen to the Online Warriors. So again, shout out to Ben and shout out to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash online warriors podcast or some such. Just search us. You'll find it. You actually got it right that time. We didn't have to do like the question mark exclamation point thing. I kind of looked forward to that. I never know. It, it, it keeps me on my toes every week. I never memorize it. I just hope I'll figure it out along the way. And this time it worked out. Uh, now I'd like to take a second to talk about one of our other um, commonly talked about things, PodCoin. PodCoin is a really cool app that you can get on both Android and iPhone. And it's a free app that actually pays you to listen to podcasts. So for every minute that you listen to your favorite podcast, you'll get paid in PodCoin, which you can put towards gift cards or even charity. So if you're interested, you can check us out on PodCoin. And if you haven't signed up yet, you can use our code, which is Online Warriors, to get 300 bonus PodCoin at sign up. So yeah, check them out. I mean, when have you gotten 300 free anything? It's probably been a long I time. I never get 300 free anything. I'm not sure that that has ever happened to me. And, you know, if it ever has, it's probably like th- something dumb, like 300 toothpicks or something, which is basically just a free box of toothpicks, which not as good as 300 podcoin. Honestly, now I kind of want to give away like a box of toothpicks, like do a giveaway, just like super random. Give away doll hairs. That wouldn't be bad. Everyone's always asking for doll hairs. Be a little creepy, though. Like, why do you have that many doll hairs? And, like, what are you going to do for it? If you're listening. What are you going to do with it when you're... I'm going to have 300 doll hairs. It sounds like a lot of money. It does, but it's just creepy. 
we okay so this is this is a good uh interaction opportunity with our audience um what should we give away 300 of to one lucky listener and don't say don't say dollars because we can't we can't make that happen don't say anything more expensive than a dollar because we can't make that happen probably don't even make it anything more expensive than however much 300 toothpicks cost just something along those lines and um that'll be a fun thing that one of you could potentially have yeah shout it out let us know on the twitters uh we are at online warriors one 300 spartans you can also hit us up on instagram and our instagram is something 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 someone else say what it is because i don't know at online warriors podcast i could not come up with that even though it's it's very obviously us so um yeah check us out we all also have handles uh i'm at ow illegal 86 on twitter we have at ow nerd bomber and at ow tactic is there one on the end of that no one just just tactic OW i tech- called you tactic one earlier and that was wrong you're just tactic now yeah i was trying to be nice i can't shake old habits man uh tactic used to be called tactic one back in the day and then you drop the one and it's been very confusing for all of us it's like when snoop dog changed to snoop lion pretty much the same thing is he still snoop lion or did he go back I- to dog Ah, uh, you know what? Let me let me give that a quick Google. Um, I know. I, really know how I know that sometimes Snoop Dizzle is in the hizzle. Is he in our hizzle? I thought I locked the doors. The shizzle. I think That's, Snoop Lion was probably really short lived. It was like a phase. Yeah, maybe like a marketing Wasn't it stunt? like the reggae uh, genre? I believe. Other names: DJ Snoopadelic, Snoop Doggy Dog, Snoop Lion, Snoopzilla. He needs to go back to chronological. the first one that you said. Can you say it again, please? DJ Snoopadelic. Yep, that's the one. He needs to be that one. That one's already taken because that's what I call myself. Okay, yeah. He returned to the Snoop Dogg name in 2015. So it was like a, it was like a three-year sabbatical and he was Snoop Lion. Anyways, that is a bit of a sidebar. And now we'll get back to the main bar, which is uh, talking about our dear and departed friend, Amelia Earhart. So um, an article came out, uh, well, yesterday at the time of recording this, Monday, if you're listening to this on Wednesday or Thursday or whenever, um, in the New York Times, the failing New York Times, about uh, Amelia Earhart. So essentially, uh, the the gist of it is that new information has been discovered, um, in part by the guy who initially found the Titanic, Robert Ballard. So First of all, this guy's got a pretty cool life. He found the Titanic, and now he thinks he has a lead on where Amelia Earhart might be. So, essentially, you know, people have been looking for Amelia Earhart since she disappeared in 1937. Um, Obviously, they have not found her. I feel like you hear something almost every year about someone saying, you know, oh, I found her. Oh, she's got to be here. And they go look, and, you know, she's not there. Um, But this Mr. Robert Ballard, I should say Dr. Ballard, he apparently has a degree in something, uh, is 77 years old, and um, he has recently come into some evidence um, in a photograph that essentially seems to suggest that uh, she's on a certain island somewhere in the Pacific. Uh, Essentially, there's a photograph that has a a certain type of landing gear in it, uh, like very far in the peripheral, that um, allowed people to kind of hone in on I'm going to try and pronounce this the name of this island, but it's probably not right. Nikumaroro Island. 
in the mostly uninhabited Phoenix Islands. And um, yeah, apparently that is a potential place to look for her plane. So they're getting ready to go out and do that. The crazy thing is that I'm pretty sure this island, it's like four or five miles long and two miles wide. So if she managed to crash on this island, like she was a great pilot because it's literally in the middle of nowhere in the ocean and it's teeny as heck. So there are a lot of theories um, that have kind of, I mean, there have been theories around for a while, but one that is kind of, I guess, supported by this potential landing place is that she's she was an american spy and she was captured like her plane was shot down and she was captured by the japanese um my favorite theory that i read because i was reading a bunch of like conspiracy theories about what happened to her and my favorite one is that she actually landed her plane and like destroyed it so that she could run off to new jersey to be a housewife because if you're amelia Earhart, that's super appealing you're never going to have a relaxing life if you're amelia Earhart. You're, you're too good of a pilot. So regardless um, regardless of fan theories, my favorite takeaway from the article is that what they what happened is they got this photo, but the landing gear was like this super blurry image in the far left corner. A smudge, and, basically. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. And they, they took it uh, to basically the, the FBI, we'll call it, and they enhanced the image and made it perfectly clear to be able to discern what type of landing gear. And the way that they enhanced it was with quote unquote classified technology. Yeah. It's the same thing that you see in the movies when they, there's a guy at a computer and some other like business guy is like, okay, enhance that photo. And he just hits one key and it like makes everything right. sharper, but, whatever that is. But that takeaway, I always thought that was kind of like CSI mumbo jumbo. That doesn't really happen. Honestly. So that's that, your biggest takeaway is that that technology is real. Oh my goodness, that blew my mind. That proves that that can really enhance, enhance again, enhance a third time, enhance. It's a pretty big deal for sure. Look at that um, wart. Yuck. But so, use that on my Android, please, because I'm tired of getting blurry zoomed in photos. Please unclassify it. That'd be great. I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, I mean, they don't want us taking pictures that good. I don't really know. I guess they don't want us taking pictures of like... I mean, like Area 51 and enhancing them or something, you know? That's, like, probably what the danger is. Not to go back to the whole Area 51 thing. Um, But, essentially, kind of to go back to Amelia Earhart for a second, uh, to wrap up that, like, uh, there's an expedition to this island that I mentioned being funded by National Geographic, and um, this is all going to be televised on October 20th, probably on the Nat Geo, like, channel or something. So it's going to be, like, severely dramatized and, like, they might find her and I don't know. Like, I don't really know what the takeaways are from finding like, okay, we found her. I hope it's not like other shows like this where it's like all hyped up and then, and they find nothing. They find nothing, but they're like, well, in the end we, we, we learned a lot and, and and it's just kind of the standard boilerplate statement. But in the end, the whole thing, they're like, you won't believe what you're, they're going to find after this commercial break. Right. And then at the end, they're like, in the end, all we really needed to find all along was ourselves. And you're like, no, I want you to find Amelia Earhart. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. I have a lot of faith, though. And I guess they're basing this off of a really blurry picture. But Dr. Ballard, so I actually saw him in person. He gave like a talk in the area Whoa. that I lived it, it was a long time ago, so the details are a little bit fuzzy, but I do remember like the technology that his ships have 
is incredible. And I actually looked up to see what kind of technology they'd be using on this expedition. And his ship is comprised of a bunch of high definition cameras. They have a 3D mapping system on board so they can pretty much map out the entire island and get a good feel for the terrain and like objects that might be on the terrain. They have remote operated underwater vehicles and one of them, and I think this is probably what they use to help find the Titanic, it can go underwater up to 20,000 feet. Like they have a lot of really advanced technology to help them find it. So if she did crash land on this island, I have faith that they will be able to find at least something to hint that she was there. Right. Something else that I wanted to like kind of tack on to this like and granted this is saying that she's on some island somewhere if she's under if she's in the ocean somewhere the chances of us finding her are very low and here's why do you and this was it was put into perspective for me this way when i was listening to another podcast that i currently can't remember the name of mile higher i think is what it was called shout out to the mile higher podcast uh we know what the entire surface of the moon looks like there is 80%, I believe is the number, 80% of the ocean floor completely undiscovered. There is potentially more down there that we don't know about than like in space. I heard this and it was like, it was blowing my mind. So like Amelia Earhart could be down there, way at the bottom, past the 20,000 feet that you mentioned that this other submarine could go. And like, she will never be found. And here's the other thing, the pressure and temperature down that low would just crush you. It, it, yeah, there, there won't be much to find anyways. And then here's the other thing. a hundred, According to Wikipedia, 149 of this exact aircraft were made. Who's to say, sure, it's the landing gear, but who's to say that it's her landing gear? There's, there's no way that... There's a lot of question marks. ...that you can't say that that's, a, that that's not a possibility. But I mean, this guy found the Titanic... He's got some experience. He knows he what can, he's doing. He can, there was one Titanic. True. True. I mean, again, I got. I have to go back to the question, though, of like, let's say he goes to this island and finds her. It's like, okay, we found, like, I feel like there's better things for this guy to be doing than finding Amelia Earhart just to say, I found Amelia Earhart now we can put that to bed like as much as you hear about it every year i feel like not many people know or care about where Amelia Earhart is well the is other that- exciting part is it's it would be a fantastic flagstone for him to pass on his legacy to his team because he is retiring so beyond just the i found amelia Earhart, it's going to be look what kind of exciting discoveries can be made and and what kind of future can be held to you, you young bucks and does, I guess. I don't know. Well, I mean, there... Sorry, go ahead. There's modern day explorers, I guess, isn't a very big field. I mean, you have like archaeologists and stuff, but people who actually just kind of go out in search of something that may not be there at all in the middle of the ocean, I feel like that's a rare breed. So... Having him make a big discovery as his last hurrah, I guess, would be good for that scientific community. I mean, anyone who's out there looking for stuff like this, it, they the reason they're not looking for Amelia Earhart is because she 
uh, presumably did not crash with like you know a ton of gold or something like these guys are out there looking for money looking for the titanic because there was like a bunch of valuable stuff on board the titanic like amelia Earhart is just going to be some crash plane somewhere with maybe some remains at this point it's been you know 80 years it's not likely that there's anything left so i suppose what it gets you is peace of mind if you're a peace of mind kind of person i don't want to be cynical but like i guess i just don't know i'll have to watch this this program on national geographic and see what the what the hype is all about um leave us a i'll tell you what drop us a line tell us where you think amelia Earhart is do you think this this latest theory is correct or do you think she's like in new jersey or like on mars or you know what what have you she might still be alive that's the other thing like maybe the reason no she hasn't been found is that she's still out there maybe she's your aunt how old would she be at this point i think she'd be like a hundred i don't know how old she was when she well i'll google it really quick because i don't she'd probably be too old now to like be alive i don't know how old she was when she took the plane i believe she was in her 30s wasn't she and that was was in 1937 yeah i don't think she'd still be around she was apparently 40 she was age 39 when she went out to sea she was born in the 1800s guys so uh she is almost certainly not still alive and you would think that if she was like hiding somewhere and she died the people who were harboring her would be like hey we had amelia Earhart this whole time you can stop looking for her. So she must have gone out there and, and you know, crashed or something must have happened. She's either out here and over 120 years old or she is somewhere in the Pacific. Maybe on Nicomaroro Island or whatever, it's however it's pronounced. So uh, check out this program on National Geographic on October 20th to find out, I guess. I Let's- am excited. Yeah, it's it should be very interesting. Um, let's find out what all of us are up to, and uh, let's start with Mister Tactic this week. See what he's been up to. Okay, I am very excited about one particular thing that happened this last week, and that is, as you know, I've been gotten back into collecting Pokemon cards and building decks and things like that. And in last week, the Dragonite starter deck came out and it's referred to as the soaring storm theme deck and let me go ahead and read this description for you ride the storm winds pull lightning and torrential rain out of the air for dragon impact and rebuild your power with dragonite's hurricane charge ability thunderous and tornadoes join the fray to keep foes reeling as you hold the high ground with the soaring storm theme deck okay if that doesn't excite you i don't know what will now Dragonite is my favorite Pokemon. He's like this happy-go-lucky dragon, and on the cover, he's just kind of like waving to you, and it's really happy. Um, And then the other thing is Thunderous and Tornadus are kind of like, if you ever watched Family Guy, they're those two muscle guys in tights that go, hup, hup. Um, No, no, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, well, they're these two kind of muscle brothers, and one's power is thunder, one's power is tornado, and they kind of, like, boost each other if you play both at the same time, one on your bench, one one in play. And all in all, I'm pretty impressed with this deck. I played it on the Pokemon Online game, and 
it does very well. So check out a Soaring Storm theme deck. That was the high point of my week. And uh, what do you guys think? So I played with the deck with you and it was a very powerful deck. I think I took out the one person that I played against in maybe five minutes because my first like draw of my hand was basically putting Thunderous and Tornadus out there and I basically mopped the floor with those two Pokemon and just basically in six turns I had finished the game. So my take, being an uninitiated, non-Pokemon person, is, uh, sounds cool, man. Sounds cool. Uh, keep up the good work. Both of you and Pokemon. With these, with these starter decks, since you are a big board game person, I actually think you can very easily get into it and kind of enjoy it. You're, you're hinting at my update, so are you, is there, do you have anything more to add or... Is that a segue that I can use? So I am unfamiliar with your update, so this was not intentional segue, but I will gladly take credit for it. All right. Uh, my uh, my update for this week, so I've been doing some traveling. Uh, as you know, last week, recorded the podcast live with Nerd Bomber and Tactic, and uh, while I was in their area, I had a chance to play a few board games that I want to just kind of shout out here. Um, as that was really the meat of, of my week. Um, one is Super Motherload, which uh, Tactic and Nerd Bomber actually got for me for my birthday. So thank you to both of you. Um, played it a couple times while I was home. Uh, it's a deck builder if that's your, your cup of tea and you're drilling on the surface of Mars. So if sci-fi is your thematic cup of tea, then you will probably love this game. Great mix of deck building and tile placement. Uh, big fan. Easy easy five out of five stars we'll play again um the other one was significantly more involved it was called arkham horror have you guys heard of arkham horror at all no i have not i think it's fairly popular uh it's essentially it's what i think it's called a legacy card game although that may be incorrect it's still a deck builder but essentially it's a cooperative game which is i love cooperative games they're some of my favorite games to play i don't like conflict i like I like, you know, togetherness and harmony. So I was playing with three of my friends and essentially the the gist of it is you are three, you are four different people who have different sets of abilities who are stuck into this kind of like 1800s-y, like think like Amnesia, the Dark Descent kind of thing. And you have to figure out your way out without dying. And um, a lot of fun, a lot of a lot of like magic the gathering kind of elements too if you're into that kind of thing i am not particularly but i still love this game um so i wanted to shout that out as well other than that uh like i like i said i was traveling i went camping which is always fun um uh, i went to a county fair um i ate those deep fried oreos that i mentioned last week i did have more than two and i did not die so good for you all in all it was a good week nerd bomber what do you got for us So the highlight, I think, of my week was I went to a Renaissance Festival, and I believe I talked about this probably like two years ago, the last time I went to a Renaissance Festival, Um, but basically just got to transport myself back to ye olden times and watch some jousting, um, played a bunch of different games like axe throwing, star throwing, knife throwing, 
was really bad at archery, so probably would never have been an archer in a past medieval life. Um, did you did not, eat a turkey leg? I did not. I'm not a big turkey leg person. It gets too messy. You don't really get as much meat as you think, or it's just like too much to handle. Okay. So, so you're saying they were available, but you didn't partake. Yeah, I got a good medieval gyro, so that was delicious. Ooh. Yeah. Um, but overall, it was a lot of fun. It was great weather for it. Um, every year we say we're going to dress up, though, and we never do. So maybe next year. I'm telling you, next yeah. year I'm going to get dressed up. Next year is the year. It will be the year. I've already drawn out schematics for a sweet staff. One I of these see, years I'm going to buy a sword. I did see the pictures that you guys uh, posted. And um, so are we talking full suit of armor here for next year, Tectic? I mean, well, that'd no. be pretty hot and clumsy and, and heavy. So I decided I'm going to be a mage, and that's why I'm going to have a sweet staff. And the beautiful thing about mages are there are so many variances of wizard slash mage slash paladin, I guess you can call it. And sure. one potential outfit could be pretty much no clothing with just like a bunch of markings on my body that's an option wow i like that one i'd be it'll, it'll certainly be cool and as long as i have a cool staff that lights up when i touch it and that's the key I've already, revisit, let's talk about this staff for a second are we talking gandalf gandalf's first staff or gandalf's second staff in terms of like the overall look so i'm picturing it has to be a tall, girthy staff because I want to have electronics in it. Girthy. And specific, you heard it here first, folks. specifically girthy. all I want is is lights. But what it what it's gotta have is it's gotta have a, a battery pack that can be hidden and it'll probably be in some kind of skull on the top because I'll probably be a dark uh, paladin. That's gonna be one girthy staff. So, well, no, the battery pack will be in, in the skull, so it doesn't need to be. And then what I'm going to have is I'm going to have um, lights also in the skull and then wires running down the shaft in the center of it. So I'm going to need to drill a hole, and that's where it's got to be um, thicker. And then and then um, coming out where my hand is is going to be two copper plates. And then I'm going to have just a small loop of a wire running from to to my pointer finger to my middle finger and that that It'll metal close the circuit wire right will close the circuit such that whenever i touch the staff it lights up and obviously i'm going to do like a like a it's not just going to turn on it's going to kind of pulse would be the uh type of light it'll be more of a glow than it just is like a light bulb turning on sounds like so. like an adam savage level build here no no it's a very simple circuit um but that's kind of what i have planned and now you're really hyping i mean you guys better dress up next year i mean well, you're no, really hyping it now no clothes just mark there's well you there's, gotta have some audio clothes, evidence man. now okay tunic there's children at this renaissance festival tunic they don't need to be seeing your girthy staff all right it's they gonna just... be a totally bald out staff and then tunic super bald out super bald out so Okay, well, with this in mind, I mean, th this is, this is, there's audio evidence of this now, so you have to commit. And with that in mind, Nerd Bomber, like, what, what's your vision for yourself? By the way, I meant to say baller, not bald out. 
balled out. You, it's too late. You can't take it back. So I don't really have a vision, which is why I don't dress up every year because I don't want to wear a corset or something like that, which a lot of females wear at the Renaissance Festival. Is that the thing that you can't breathe when you wear it? Yeah, that just doesn't seem fun to me. So I guess it would be something... Breathing is fun, yeah. Yeah, breathing is a lot of fun. So maybe it would be something like like an elven archer, but I'm not good at archery, so that would not work either. So I'm not really sure. I still have to work out the details. I clearly do not have it as far planned out as Tactic does. So you have a year... The outfit's not important. You have a year to become a good archer, and then you can go as an elven archer, and then you're done. That's a really good point. I need to start practicing and grab my bow. Well, there you go. Uh, I think I speak for for all of our listeners when I say we're looking forward to the photos next year, and uh, they better be good, because you're promising a lot. So with that in mind, let's do a quick recap before we get into our game of the end of season Oh gosh, what was it? Season three of our so. of our uh, yeah end of season three of our of our fantasy movie league. Um, I guess we can start with the exciting news, um, which is that if you want to be a part of the fantasy movie league, we have season four starting this weekend. So this is your best time to get in on this, guys. We have nine people in on it right now. Um, you could be number ten, and you could take the whole fantasy movie league world by storm. If you just go over to fantasymovieleague.com, look for our league. Our league is Online Warriors Podcast, and it is password protected, but the password is all lowercase podcast. Um, you can join in the fun. You can pick a Cineplex every week, put, put movies you think are going to be the highest performing, and uh, I mean you'll beat me. That's for sure. I suck. Uh, yeah, you know I who guess- doesn't suck? Nerd Bomber. She just- won season three. Just to run down, I guess, this last week, because I did win the entire season, but we had a bunch of people who came in in the mid, like midway through the season. So I, I kind of like to go week by week and just look at the overall standings from the week. So sure. I did kind of blow this week out of the water. I had $101 million. And then second place, which was Hipster Pop Geek, came in at $72 million. So apparently I was super good at estimating the Cineplex. Um, in third place was Mech Yoda. Then fourth was Devin Reed. Fifth was Tectic. And then sixth was Heck It's Tech. And then seventh and eighth and ninth are both, or all three people who I think forgot to set a lineup. Spitfire 32 had 11 million because he forgot to set a lineup. And Illegal 86 had 3 million because he also forgot to set a lineup. And then, of course, I- our friends at Dem Fancy did not set one as per usual. To, to kind of defend myself here, um, I had no reason to. I was I was so far away from the people that were above and below me in the direct standings that I was like, I don't need to think about this this week. It has no bearing. So I didn't. I've, I I didn't forget. I want to make that clear. I very purposefully did not do it. Uh, whether that makes it any better, you decide. Um, I will say that in season four, I plan on forgetting zero weeks, and I plan on crushing all of you. The interesting thing about season four is that it will also be taking place about when like fantasy football leagues start. So if anybody does forget and you're really big into fantasy football, then you can just add it onto your fantasy checklist of things to look at every week. I had not thought of that, but it's in my case, a fantastic idea as I'm in three fantasy football leagues. So I will add this to the checklist. Um, So yeah, again, if you want to be a part of this, we'd love to have you. Um, as you can see, we have other people besides the three of us getting in on the fun. Hipster Pop Geek and Mecha Yoda, Devin Reed, Hackett's Tech. They're all filling out lineups. 
uh, Spitfire definitely did at one point as well. Uh, he or she just forgot this week. And you know what? We're only human. Everyone forgets things. But um, yeah, season four is going to run 10 weeks, just like the other three seasons we've had. August 16th through October. Oh, October 20th. It'll be the, the day of the National Geographic uh, program about Amelia Earhart. So um, now's the time to get in if you want to be competitive in the overall standings and um if you want to have a good time with us so check it out and uh to wrap things up today uh we're going to go into our trivia that um mr ben checkness suggested for us and uh we're going to be talking about pac-man today guys so i have seven count them seven questions in front of me here uh they are all prices right style questions um and therefore, in theory, there should be only one winner because there's an odd number of questions. So let's just get started right away um, with what I think is the most interesting question. The original file size for the Pac-Man game, how big was it? Who gets to go first? Uh, I think we'll stick with the old ladies first, even though it puts you at a direct disadvantage. Okay, I'm going to say... Oh, man. 800 megabytes. Okay. I'm going to go 64 kilobytes. All right. Uh, well, you guys both busted. Uh, really? Te- it's that you small? Quite a bit closer. 24 kilobytes, guys. 24 kilobytes. Uh, I mean, this was back in like... I, I don't know if you heard me whispering... Out but i was doing multiples of 8 in the in the fashion of binary cuz i was hoping it was kind of that and i was close i you literally went 8 16 24 <laughs> um i am not going to give out points for that because you were still more than double what it was but you were you were in the right you know magnitude ballpark nerd bomber was off in her own world i mean this was this was like 1970 i think that this came out um so yeah, yeah, I was way su- off. Suffice it to say, I, actually, I think it might have been 1980, but either way, it is still quite old. Um, the year that it came out is clearly not one of the questions. Uh, okay, so no points. Um, okay, next question. Uh, the Pac-Man game for the Atari 2600 uh, was, in fact, I think the best-selling game for the Atari 2600, um, in spite of the fact that it was fairly panned people didn't seem to like it um it's considered one of the worst remakes of all time Came how do you screw up pac-man though it apparently was unfinished i i don't have all the details i'm reading this off a web page but uh yeah it was still uh the best-selling game on the system as i mentioned how many copies did pac-man for the atari 2600 sell and tactic you will start this time 15,000 copies. Okay, I'm going to go with 15,001. Wait, no, 15,001. Sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, Nerd Bomber gets the point. Oh, yeah. Um, that was dirty. Price is you, right, baby. Neither of you were remotely close. I almost don't want to give you a point, but I'm going to anyways. 7 million copies, guys. <laughs> Seven million. I was close with the memory one, and you went and gave it to her. Well, it's because you because you busted, man. That's how busting works. If you go over, you bust. She didn't go over on this one. You went over on the last one. Dirty. 
Call you it whatever do- you want. Enjoy your dirty point. Call it whatever I'll you want. It. She's she's ahead of you on the scoreboard. Um, okay, this one is a fun one. Let me scroll to it because I'm again I'm on this long web page. This is my favorite one. Uh, Pac Man was actually um, it was it was also ported into a TV show. Um, it was a Saturday morning cartoon based on the Pac Man arcade game. Uh, it came out in 1982. How many seasons did it run for? I'm going to go with three seasons. Tactic. I'm going to go with four seasons. You guys both busted. It was two mm. seasons. Really? Was it? <laughs> it wasn't very good, apparently. I mean, I, um, I can probably see that. It's described here as mostly terrible. So to our listeners, feel free to check it out. So um, you guys both busted. So we still just have Nerd Bomber sitting pretty at one point. But that's okay. Well, it's, still, it's not an unreachable lead. There's still four questions to go. Uh, this next one is kind of similar to the uh, the question I just asked. Um, Pac-Man Fever is a pop song that came out. It was released by uh, parody duo Jerry Buckner and Gary Garcia um, in 1982. How high on the U.S. charts did it get? Tactic, this one's on you. I know, you gotta let me think. So, is there like a how high out of X? Uh, no. No. I think the charts are usually out of 100, though. Not that I should help you, but I'm pretty sure like that's what the US-based charts are. I think she's right, but I'm not gonna verify it. I'm not gonna give you the upper bound. So, would this be an inverse bust, then? Because obviously, one would be the best. If you if the number is for this one to avoid any issues with that, let's just say whoever's closer gets the point. How about that? Okay, I'm gonna go eighty four. Okay, Nerd Bomber. I'm gonna go forty five because I think people like their Pac Man. Nerd Bomber gets another point. It was number nine. It peaked at number nine. No way! It made top ten. I gotta listen to this song. It's apparently a banger. Shout out to... You even said in the same vein as the previous question, as opposed to... Which which pretty much meant no one no. liked it. No, what it meant to me was... It was ported to a TV show. It was also ported into song form. That's what I meant. I didn't mean it was bad. Apparently, it wasn't bad. Shout out to Jerry Buckner and Gary Garcia uh, for putting together a real great song, Pac-Man Fever. Yeah, what a bop. We need to listen what, to this now. What an absolute bop. I have the video right in front of me, but obviously if I play it, you guys won't be able to hear it, so it'd be useless. Um, okay, so Nerd Bomber has two, but never fear. There are still three questions to go, so Tectic, you could still pull this off. What is the highest level you can reach in Pac-Man? Much I, simpler question. I want to say it's 15. Okay. I'm going to go with 16. Yeah. Nerd Bomber, it is way higher. Tectic gets this point. Hmm. 265. What? So you could be playing Pac-Man for a very long time. I always thought there was like an ending. Well, there is an ending because apparently level 265 is glitchy. If So here it is. Um Oh, you know what? Well, there's a typo on this webpage. It might actually be level 256, which would make sense because of the the division by eight. 
Um, in level 256, half of the screen looks like a normal Pac-Man maze, but the other half is a glitchy mess of random numbers, colors, and symbols. You can attempt to continue to play, but it won't be long before the game glitches out. So, remember that this was 24 kilobytes, so probably hitting the, the memory ceiling on that one. So, um, yeah, 256, we can say. Either way, Tactic gets the point, and uh, here we are. It, now Tactic is right back in the game. This next question is very similar. What is the highest possible score you can get in Pac-Man? Okay, I'm going to go with... Nine million nine hundred thousand ninety nine nine hundred ninety nine nine. Okay, so you're just you're you're banking on on the digits maxing out. Okay, yeah. nerd bomber. Okay, hold on, I have to do some math. So I'm pretty sure you can get because you get an extra life at one hundred thousand, which I think you accomplish in the second level. So assuming that you can get a hundred thousand in every two levels. That would be 128 times 100,000 would be 12,800,000. Okay. Uh, and and sorry, Tectic, you said 9 million, right? Yes. 9 million, 900. Okay, you guys both busted. Tectic's closer, so I don't know whether I should give him the point. I, I think I'm going to give him the point just to make this interesting. Do you get a life at 10,000? Am I thinking wrong? It's... Okay. The highest possible score is 3,333,360. Hmm. So, I don't... Yeah, I mean, I... Hang on. The webpage might say how exactly you achieve that score. It might give you some kind of math. Uh, it doesn't say anything. It just says it took the person six hours to do it. So, <laughs> it's not really helpful information. Um, the final question relates to the previous question. And given that I gave Tectic a pity point, we are all knotted up at two so the winner of this one gets it no bust rules we're saying whoever's closest what year was that high score achieved i'm going to pass it over to tactic because i think he goes first uh you are incorrect he went first last time oh that's right oh man thanks a lot jerk i'm all over the place Uh, i'm going to say it was accomplished in 1985 okay tactic I'm going to go 1990. Tactic takes it home. What a comeback. 1999. Winning uh, with a pity point. I think this one has an asterisk. Well, if I didn't get the pity point, it would be all tied up. If he wants to throw up, throw in a, uh, because you technically we both. Sure. Let me, if you give me a minute, talk amongst yourselves and I can, <laughs> I can, I can figure out another question. Well, um, question with that one pity point, I busted and she didn't, correct? No, no we had you both, both busted. You, you, both, you both busted. Oh, I love this. Okay. This is an amazing question. In 2010, again, we're, just to break the tie, we're doing whoever's closest here. No bust rules, okay? In 2010, Google celebrated Pac-Man's 30th anniversary by replacing its usual logo with a playable Pac-Man-style maze. Some estimates say that the drop in productivity due to people playing at work cost the global economy how much money <laughs> hmm. who gets to go question. first on this one this, uh it would be tactic this time this question speaks to me on my deepest level of procrastination 625 million dollars okay i'm gonna Nerd say bomb. 400 million you said 400 million mm-hmm. 
Okay, now Nerd Bomber wins. Boy, this is this is w- w- so much drama in this game today. It was 120 million. That's it? Yeah, you overestimated the the world's proclivity for procrastination. Hmm. Um so yeah, I guess that's a positive note to end on. I mean, I just want to say if we didn't play the bust rule, I would have won and this question wouldn't need to happen with the kilobytes. Just uh, saying. Okay, would you like just me saying. to no, call it's, no. the ambulance? It's fine. I'm just because saying. I think the number can... is wine one one. Pretty good. Um, I'm just saying. So, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. So, so Tectic is going to go call the ambulance. Uh, Nerd Bomber is going to bask in the glory of victory, in more ways than one, because she also won the fantasy movie league, and I am going to sit here, essentially ambivalent to everything that's happened. And um, I'll be doing so until next week. Next week, I'll just sit in this room, and that's it. So, someone I'll be remember for to you. feed and water illegal. And my cat, who actually is, I think, is in this room right now, just staring at me. Um. So yeah, thank you guys for joining us this week. Um, we really appreciate you listening as always. Um, if you like what you hear, we would really appreciate it if you went on over to the old iTunes machine and um gave us a gave us a rating give us you know give us five stars or don't even give us five stars give us however many stars you think we deserve even if that's one we want to hear about it it will be less happy about it but at least we'll know you were honest um and yeah again we really appreciate you guys listening um and uh tell your friends and uh have a great week yeah have a great week everyone see ya